Show episode number 171. My name is John Morgan. Cold Coffee is shockingly not with me right now, even though we are in Las Vegas. It is International Fight Week, and that's because straight up, he's still working on stuff, man. This this International Fight Week business is crazy stuff, but in his place, I have our good man from across the pond who has made it to Las Vegas for the first time in a long time and has made it with his voice repaired and backed. That's got to feel good. Simon Head, what's going on, brother? I'll tell you what, it's nice It's nice to have the voice back, although my wife might disagree with that. <laughs> but it's good to be back. It's been, we were talking about this earlier, I think the last time I was actually in Vegas was for UFC 202, which feels like an absolute age ago. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's good to know that International Fight Week is still as mad as it always has been. This, this is my third International Fight Week, and... Uh, it seems every single time, and I'm sure we'll get onto it on the show. It's crazy. It may even be cursed. It may even be cursed. It is, man. It's a lot of fun for fans. It's it's hard, man. It's just a slog for, for journalists, no question about it. I should say real quick, for those, if it might say, what the hell are we talking about with your voice? Yeah. Uh, if you are a, a, a hardcore MMA junkie fan, if you're somebody that, that reads everything and watches everything, you'll know that Simon Head is always a part of our media picks when we're doing you know, our, our breakdowns of fights. And uh, you, 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 you kind of had to duck out for a little bit. You were struggling for a little bit. Your voice was, was uh, rough. You had a little, little health scare. Yeah, well, yeah, I think the scare is probably more my own making as much as anything. Uh, I had basically no voice or very little voice for pretty much – all of uh, all of this year, up until about three weeks ago, That's crazy. Um, turned out I had a little a little thing called a polyp, which was on one of my vocal cords. I think probably had the flu over Christmas, probably coughed and sneezed and hacked something a little bit too hard and damaged my vocal cords. And this little thing had grown there. Um, I didn't know what it was. I, I I couldn't see it. I don't go to doctors. I wasn't even enrolled with one because it'd been that long since I've been. I've moved house twice since then, um, so I had to get a private doctor's appointment. They referred me to the hospital. They took it, put a camera down it. That was fun. Yes. Up the nose and down the throat. Oh. Yeah. Which was. Oh. I've got. I've got. I'm not queuing up to have that done again. Oh. Well, I am going to have that done in about three weeks to check it. But, but yeah. So I had a little. Went. Oh yeah. This is fine. But before then, I'd googled my symptoms and convinced myself I had throat cancer. Yeah. And was. Without. You don't without, want to Google your symptoms. Without putting too fine a point on it, I was pooping myself, and, uh, yeah. So. Managed to get it get it done, went in. I was I was in and out of the hospital within like four hours. It was ridiculous, and uh, I had to stay quiet for four days. Which you know me, John. That was a tough that job. That was the biggest struggle. That was a tough job. I was getting told off by the nurses for whispering before I'd even left the building. Um, and uh, yeah, after a few days of voice rest, which professional singers do, but not professional idiots like me. Um, so yeah, I'm back. I'm, I'm delighted to be back in Vegas. This is a bit of a weird trip because I've paid my own way to get out of here. I'm, I'm slumming it on uh, on your in your spare room, which I'm very grateful for. No worries, man. Um, and it's been uh, it's been great doing stuff for the BBC, doing stuff for the Fight Nation, and helping you guys out, MMA junkies. We cool. love it, man. We appreciate it. Well, it's good to have you here. It's good to have you 100% healthy. And then let's. Let's just get right to it. We do have the Ultimate Fighter 27 finale this week. We do have USC 226 as well. But the story of the week has quickly become Max Holloway being forced out of his fight against Brian Ortega. And, you know, I wanted to kind of, I guess, give everybody a little bit of backstory because um, it certainly seemed to develop very quickly. The news seemed to break uh, very suddenly. 
Um, but for those of us on the ground here in Las Vegas, it was something that was kind of building a little bit. It actually started on Tuesday at the World MMA Awards. We were at the World MMA Awards, uh, which is always a fun time. We had, we had a great time that night. Uh, it was the first time my wife wasn't with me. I think maybe I had a, a little bit too much of a good time with the cocktails, uh, with, no, with no governor there to keep me in control. But uh, long story short, uh, at the at the World MMA Awards, we kind of heard some some backstage stuff. We've known the people at Fighters Only for a long time, and uh, as the show was starting, we kind of heard some. Man, there's been some last second changes. You know, our Fighter of the Year uh, was supposed to be here, couldn't make it, so we've had to kind of shuffle the show around. Now we we didn't know exactly what that meant at that time. We was it going to be Conor McGregor? It wouldn't make much sense that Conor McGregor is the Fighter of the Year. All he did was, you know fight Floyd Mayweather. I mean, God bless for him and it's $100 million, but I don't know if that wins you MMA Fighter of the Year. So we didn't know who it was at that time, but we thought, huh, that's weird. Okay. Well, it turns out the Fighter of the Year is Max Holloway. So we start thinking a little bit, hmm, maybe he's having some weight cut issues already. Maybe something like that is happening. Then we go to open workouts the next day, Wednesday. And right away, I think a lot of us could see it. If you haven't seen the open working footage by now, go, go do it. Go watch it. It's on YouTube. We've got it on the MMA Junkie YouTube. You can watch it. It's very evident that something, to me at least, seemed wrong. It seemed off. Uh, not that everybody – I mean, people approach open workouts in a thousand different ways, man. Dan Henderson never worked out. He would just walk out and hold up his hands and take pictures. You know, uh, you know, Diego Sanchez, on the other hand, works out for an hour and does yoga. I mean, everybody does open workouts a little bit different. But this was not – um, a, a Max Holloway workout, and then even when we spoke with him uh, in the scrum afterwards, it just it didn't seem like something was there. It didn't seem yeah. it seemed like something was off a little bit. Now, personally, uh, not knowing anything else, I I assumed it was all boiled down to the weight cut, all boiled down to him having weight cut issues. Of course, we saw earlier this year he was pulled from a fight. Now, granted, that was on short notice, but you know, still that 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 didn't happen, uh, and now this as well. Um, so we. We had this building for a couple of days. The news broke. Simon, give me your first reaction. I mean, was it was it still shock or was it more of like, eh, I knew something was happening? It was a shock that that was the reason. Um, and as a, it was it was it was a strange one because as you say, we were stood there, and I remember the pair of us were having a chat about it at the time. We were like, this is not your usual Max Holloway workout. He was barely touching the pads. Now normally he's quite a he's quite a high energy guy, Max Holloway. He talks very fast. He's he's very uh, he's very enthusiastic. That's right. In everything he does, you talk sure. to him, you see his past interviews. You know they're all out there on MMA Junkie. You can check them all out. He's a very energetic guy. Uh, he's a very energetic fighter. He's a high volume, high pace fighter, and he had a load of Hawaiians in attendance at the open workouts to watch him. They were screaming because Brad Tavares had been on just before him. And they were shouting a place down for him as yep. well. And, uh, yeah, he was interacting with the fans, but he, there was no pep to his workout. There was That's no right. snap to his punches. And you even said he was missing combos in his, I was in his say, open workout. If you go back and watch the footage, now, now Cold Coffee was closer. He's the one that actually records workout footage. I'm not yeah. a good enough videographer. I usually just shoot the scrums. But if you go back, I was watching the footage and going back, and he's not even hitting the combos his coach is calling out. His coach is saying, you know, 1-1-2, one, one, and he throws a 1-2-3. And then that may seem silly, like what is it? But it's, you're talking about a guy who is, you know, the pinnacle of the 145-pound division right now, who's known for his fantastic striking. And as you said, the energy, that's a great way to put it. Because not only was there no power in his shots, but even as he t 
talked with us. It was like he was just kind of floating through the day a little bit. And it's very lethargic. Very lethargic. And, in fact, after everything kind of came out, we, we kind of heard from some folks that we know behind the scenes that it had started even a little bit earlier for UFC officials. You know, we, we, we saw the statement from his team that he had gone to the doctor on Monday, and it turns out that on Monday, you know, he's doing interviews with the UFC and kind of, falling asleep basically mm. like in the middle of interviews that that is definitely not max holloway and, no. you know we talked to some people and they said well i mean you don't want to assume anything maybe the guy's on cold medicine or maybe the guy just had a late night last night who knows but you know something was definitely off all week absolutely and and you know i know that the it was pushed out there uh, through uh through espn i think that they were at great pains to try and make the point that this wasn't anything to do with the weight cut what i would say is that the fact that he was beginning his weight cut may actually have been one of the factors that helped bring those symptoms to the surface. Right. Because, because as you become more dehydrated, um, that's when those symptoms are more likely to present themselves. You know, so I think as as he was beginning his cut, maybe that was when the sort of threshold was crossed, if you like, and those underlying symptoms that were already there became a bit more visible to the people around Max and. Yeah, I think everyone's really bummed that the fight's off. Definitely. I think everyone's absolutely gutted because you had two, these two young lions oh. who, they're the next generation of stars in the UFC. You know, we've had the Hall of Fame ceremony today. We've inducted Ronda Rousey, who would go down in history as, as one of the all-time greats. Some, but we've got a new generation of guys coming through now. And Max and... Uh, oh, Brian Ortega. Brian Ortega. Sorry, I've brain fade. Max <laughs> and Brian Ortega are two of the guys who... We could do that yeah, too. tell me about it. And... Um, you know, they're, they're two of the next generation. And we were talking, they could form a rivalry over the next few years, assuming they stay in the same weight class, right? But, but you know, it's such a shame to miss that fight. But if you're going to see a fight pulled off the card, because, you know, for these sort of reasons, the team made the decision for him. I think we have to applaud his team. I yes. think we have to say all kudos to his team. There was no thought about, okay, we'll get him through the week. Right. Um, as soon as they saw that, there's a you know there's a bigger problem here. They they got him checked out. They and he got a clean bill of health when they got him checked out first. And they still saw a problem and they said no, this isn't right. Yep. All credit to to Max's management and his team because they may well have have uh, prolonged his career a little bit potentially. You're right. As much as it sucks, the absolute right thing was done here. So I think everybody involved needs to be applauded for the decision to get him out now. Here's what's interesting moving forward. So I think it was Lance Pugmire that tweeted out. Certainly, I'm sure, you know, some USC officials might have told him, hey, you know, maybe we'll rebook this thing in a month. Caution, 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 caution. We don't know what's going on here. Now, uh, it's concussion-like symptoms is what was described, right? I mean, everything that was – could be a concussion. I think, you know, we still need to hear from Max and his team what happened. And, uh, and uh, so, well, and it doesn't matter. He had a concussion. We don't know if he had a concussion yet. Gareth A. Davies actually brought up today at the press conference yeah. – and, and, and kudos to him for stepping up and doing it because I know it wasn't the most fun question to ask, and Dana ended up kind of roasting him a little bit for it. But, you know, he spoke to a neurologist and, and described the symptoms exactly as they were described in his team's statement. And the neurologist said, listen, this could be a number of things, you know, and, and, and we got to get it figured out. And I think that's what's important here. I think we need to hear what the history has been with Max. I mean, if we find out that, okay, listen, this sucks to hear, but, yeah, Thursday, the last week of training, he was sparring and he got knocked out. Then you go, okay, he got a yeah. concussion from a strike. Let's rest him, and I'm sure he'll be fine. But if you find out something like that didn't happen, now you got to say, what else is going on? And as you said, you know, does the weight cut? I know we're saying that the weight cut didn't have anything to do with it. I, I, I don't 
know how you can say that the weight cut had nothing to do with it. You know, he's he's starting that diet. He had a bad – there's just – to me, there's a lot of variables. And I think before anybody gets busy talking about, hey, when can he fight again, what's going on, like there's – I think there's a lot of hurdles we got to get through. And, 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 and I will say, at the press conference we had today, USC President Dana White did say – you know, don't expect him to be fighting anytime soon. And, and I think that's wise. And I think everybody just needs to be cautious a little bit. Tap the brakes on trying to figure out when the next time Max Holloway is going to fight because this is something, as you said, potentially career impacting that needs to be figured out. Yeah, you need a diagnosis before you can treat anything, right? So at the moment, that's why it was framed as concussion-like. Not symptoms of concussion, right. concussion-like. Yeah, the way he's saying he's having yeah, he he's showing He's showing the sort of signs that in MMA, people are used to seeing from people who have taken a concussion. But as Gareth mentioned in, on, in the press conference, uh, the neurologist he spoke to said it could be an early sign of epilepsy as, a, as, a, as another potential uh, issue. So the diagnosis needs to be made first. You need the MRI scans to be done. And then once all of that's done, then you can start to move forward. You can put a plan in place as to whether it's something that it's a condition that can be controlled such as epilepsy, or whether it's something where you just basically need rest before you can consider going back into that sort of environment again, such as a concussion. So, yeah, I think the most important thing, you know, we're in a, we're in a very tough business here, watching people beating seven, seven shades of you-know-what out of each other. Yep. But we do want people to stay healthy at the same time. That's we right. want, you know, the health of the fighters is paramount. You don't want guys getting in there uh, with underlying issues that haven't been, haven't been dealt with yet. Let Max have all the time he needs, and when he comes back, we'll have a phenomenal fight with Brian Ortega. I agree. All right, let's talk about Brian Ortega because interesting situation around him, okay? So Brian Ortega finds out what's happening. Right away, the UFC goes to work trying to put a fight together, okay? Uh, you know, I tweeted a little bit about this the other night, and, and more of it came out today. Uh, but the first option on the table was let's get Jeremy Stevens. You know, Jeremy Stevens, hey, fighting at his best, right? I mean, this has been a banner year for him as of late. I mean, he's had to put a nice run together. He's had some great results. He feels like it's easy. Yes, he may not have the greatest career record in the UFC, but he feels like, you know, he's an exciting fighter and deserves a shot at the title. Ortega and his camp, you know, discussed it, and, and per my understanding, and as, you know, the UFC kind of laid out there today, the, the camp decided, listen, we don't know if that's the best decision for us to, to take this fight. You know, we've been preparing for Max Holloway. Jeremy Stevens is a very, very different kind of fighter. I don't know that this, the biggest moment of our lives, we want to take on two days' notice. And I got to say, uh, I, I mean, I know, that, I know that people like that, hey, man, I'll fight anybody, anywhere, anytime. The Cowboy Cerrone, I mean, why do people love Cowboy Cerrone? Because he literally embodies that. You know, he says, just send me the contract and I'll sign it. I don't need to know who it is. And that's, and that's fair. That's good. But you're talking about this kid with an undefeated record who a year ago was unheard of. You know, most people didn't know who the guy was. And now here he is at the pinnacle, you know. And he, he, he's, he's finally breaking into the mainstream. The guy has star potential all over him, right? Good-looking kid, has this heart of gold, wants to change the world in, in this messaging that he has. And Jeremy Stevens can change a lot in your career, man. That dude can knock anybody out. And – Man, I, 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 I get it because I just think with, with all that's on the line, I don't necessarily fault Ortega and his team for saying, I'm not sure this is the fight for us. We, you know, because my understanding was they didn't say, look, as I was told, is they didn't say we're not taking the fight. They said, hey, we don't want the fight on two days' notice. How about we do it with Stevens at 227 in L.A., which to me makes all the sense in the world. That's Ortega's backyard. 
227 still needs a little star power on it. Um, I, I don't think that would have been the, the worst decision ever. What do you take, dude? Do you think Ortega and his team made a mistake? I mean, because it kind of felt like Dana was throwing them under the bus a little bit. Uh, you know, when, when, when Dana was calling out Ed Soros right there in the front of the press conference. The camera like, went on him as well. Oh, yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, I bet you didn't wish, wish you didn't come to this one. Now, here's the thing. You've got to look, if you're his management, you have to look at the upside and the downside. What do you stand to lose? What do you stand to gain? And the risk versus reward thing has to, has to be appropriate yes. before you say yes. Brian Ortega had nothing to gain from taking this fight at two days' notice. Even if they give him an interim title, even if they put an interim title on that fight, I don't really think that that really gives him a whole lot. Right. Because at the end of the day, where does he stand afterwards? He's still not the champion. He's still the top guy on the list in terms of contendership. He's standing still. He might have a bit of bling on his shoulder, but basically he's standing still. But and he's going in there with a guy. Um, his last two fights, both finished by TKO slash KO stoppage. Duho Choi and Josh Emmett, two really really tough, yeah, tough featherweights. And he, uh, Jeremy Stevens, put them both away in the second round, uh, winning bonuses in the process as well. In fact, his last three fights, I got I got Wikipedia up here. His last three fights uh, brought him fight of the night or performance of the night bonuses. So. This is not a guy you want to be taking on two days' notice. Even though, obviously, Stevens has, has got a job on his hands coming in at two days' sure. notice. We have, to, we have to obviously balance and say that. But he's jumping in with nothing to lose. That's right. Absolutely nothing to lose. He can go in there, get beat, get submitted or whatever. His career largely is going to be unaffected. He's done the UFC a solid by stepping in. Everything moves on, yep. right? Brian Ortega loses... His, his, his momentum's gone. His undefeated record's gone. His shot on Max Holloway's gone. There's no upside for him. So I think, to be honest, when you said about him fighting at 227, I don't even know if that's a great idea because I think he should wait. Well, but again... Assuming, I, well, we need to know what the deal thing, is with Max. Because Max, listen, I, I'm, I don't want to be a pessimist, man. I, I'm a largely optimistic guy, man. Mm. I try to be pretty positive. I'm worried about Max Holloway. You know, I, I don't know if... You know, this is going to be some time out, or maybe this is something that pushes him to go fight at 155. You know, if we do, if we do determine that some dehydration or some weight cutting is involved, I, I don't know. So you're right. I mean, we, I, you're maybe still needing to, to wait on Max Holloway. Okay, so I don't. I mean, I get it. If, if somebody says, "I wish Ortega would have taken the fight," I can understand that. But again, I think we laid out. There's a lot on the line, especially young kid, undefeated record. You know, if he was 35 years old, tail end of his career. You know, has been at the Pentagon before. Like, all right, just take the damn fight, bro. Let's you know keep it together. I was going to say the only other thing, the UFC don't need to make another fight. Okay, well here's where I wanted to go exactly with that yeah. because I understand where Ortega came from. Okay, but then for whatever reason, the UFC says, well, all right, T City, if you're not here, we still got to put another fight on. So now we're going to put together uh, this interim title fight with Jeremy Stevens and Frankie Edgar, and that just totally lost me. I, 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 I did not understand that logic whatsoever. I, I don't understand. First of all, nobody likes interim titles, right? Nobody likes interim titles. Now, if it turns out Max Holloway is going to be out for a while with this medical situation, then it may make a lot of sense to have an interim champion. And who knows, if then he has to depart the division, then you've already got a champion place. So this may be one of those weird situations where an interim champ does make, you know, make some sense at some time. But not right now, and especially if it's not involving Brian Ortega. If Brian Ortega is not one of the participants in an interim title fight in that division, there's, it makes no sense whatsoever. And I get it, right? At the end of the day, 
the UFC was trying to save this pay-per-view, right? They're trying to save their bottom line. They're a business. And, yes, they want to entertain and they're committed to their fans and all that. I mean, yes, but this isn't about some warm, fuzzy feel-good for the fans. It's about making sure that people are willing to spend their 60 bucks. And I got to be honest with you. I don't know what Jeremy Stevens versus Frankie Edgar, no disrespect to those guys, for an interim championship would have added in, in terms of the pay-per-view value with what they ended up doing, which is what I thought all of us immediately thought. I mean, when this first happened, didn't pretty much all of us just look at each other and be like, ah, easy call there. Move Felder and Perry up to the main card. Still got yourself a nice card. Exactly. And the other thing about this, which has probably been lost in all this, they've fought before already. Frankie Edgar beat Jeremy Stevens at UFC 205, and he beat him pretty handily on points. Um, if I remember that fight, I was there for that fight. Jeremy Stevens was chasing shadows for a lot of that fight. So, you know, Frankie's already is already beaten Stevens relatively handily. So, is that the best fight to make anyway? Even if you, we don't include Brian Ortega in the conversation, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. And especially when Edgar is coming off a, off a, off a. Well, he's he's had a win most recently, but. He's also coming off a recent loss as well. Right. Jeremy Stevens has got the momentum. I completely understand him being thrown into the mix. But to not have Ortega in there and a belt makes zero sense. I agree. I just I don't see what the USC was chasing after and I'm glad I'm glad that didn't happen. And from what from what we're told, uh, I, I you know, I, I tweeted about that you know, I heard this was in the works, couldn't get official confirmation. Um, and as it turned out, the reason was uh, Frankie Edgar's family stepped in and said, "Hey, well, this is not the fight we want for you right now." And I think that's I think that's understandable. Um, you know, what do they want him in there with a heavy-handed knockout artist right now? You know, that that, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense. So uh, it's just interesting because here, and, and the last piece of the puzzle too is, you know, sometimes when there's card shifts and you need to move things around, we say, "Well, don't forget the UFC has a broadcast partner in Fox that they kind of owe some fights to," and they. I don't care about Fox anymore, right? You know what I mean? You got you got six months of being stuck working together, so I'm not saying you want to purposely just piss all over them. But, you know, if somebody's best interest got to be got to be decided, guess who's going to win? It's going to be you every time. And, it, and if you're really thinking you're going to fly Frankie Edgar from Tom's River, New Jersey, all the way over to Las Vegas, that's going to take a day. Yep. That gives him... But then he's got to make 145 <laughs> on the nose. Yep. Jeremy Stevens is a bit more local. He's got to make 145 on the nose as well at literally the drop of a hat. Now, Frankie Edgar is as experienced as they come. He knows how to make weight. But even for him, that is a hell of an ask. You know, to fly whatever the... Was it a four-hour flight from New York? Yeah. Four-hour flight, um, having not been in a training camp. So his body is not already in that sort of fight mode, if you like. And then having to just launch into a weight cut Pretty much from the minute he puts the phone down, I would imagine, and incorporate a flight into the middle of it somehow, and then hit 145 on the dot for an interim title fight that is completely unnecessary. A, the title's unnecessary. B, the fight on the fight card is unnecessary. It seems to me like it's putting the, it's putting the fighters in unnecessary peril just from a weight cut perspective. I'd like to think that the reason the UFC came to the conclusions that they did in trying to book this is because it was really late at night on 4th of July, yeah. and everybody had a few cocktails, and people weren't necessarily thinking straight. That's what I'm hoping, because it just – I didn't see anybody – when I tweeted that out, that that was what they were thinking, I didn't see one person that was like, yeah, yeah hell yeah, that. that's a great – oh, it's just ridiculous. All right, so that's been the story of the week. Uh, if there are any questions left, hopefully answered answer by this. We had a press conference earlier today. We talked to the 
remaining fighters, of course, and we'll get to that in just a second. But we also ask several questions about, you know, what's going on with Max, what's going on with Ortega, uh, and you can hear from UFC President Dana White addressing those now. All right, what's up, everybody? Thanks for coming today. We appreciate it. Welcome to International Fight Week. Before we get started, obviously, UFC 226 is this weekend. We have the Ultimate Fighter finale this weekend right here at the Palms. And uh, let's get it started. Who's got the first uh, first question? Unfortunate news, of course, with the with the cancellation of the previous co-main event. I'm curious, what can you tell us about Max Holloway at this point? An update on, on his health and just kind of what's going on with him. Yeah, it, it's a weird situation. <clears throat> I was just talking to Jeff Nowitzki in the back, and, uh, you know, there's, there's a couple of different, um, you, you know, people, some, some people think it's concussion related and some people think it's weight cutting related. So they haven't really got down to the bottom of what it, it is, but, uh, according to him, he feels fine. And, uh, but obviously he's not fine. So we're going to continue to, uh, try to figure out what's wrong with Max Holloway. So but I guess in the meantime, there, you know, there, there's no way that, that, that this guy's going to fight anytime soon. Okay, I was going to ask him, you said anytime soon. So with that in mind, they're still figuring out, I mean, is there even a, a ballpark, a time frame, an idea when he could fight again? I can't remember exactly what the time frame is, but when you look at, uh, you know, he, he was getting ready for a fight, that fight fell out. Then he was getting ready for another fight, and, and he didn't make weight and couldn't make the weight. And, and the list goes on and on, three or four fights. I can't remember exactly what it was. But the guy's been training and cutting weight you know, for three, four fights in a row. Um, yeah, it's, it's very weird. We'll figure it out, and that's that. I guess the, the flip side, Ryan Ortega, um, what do you do with him in the meantime? I mean, do you have any idea of like, getting him another fight? It sounds like maybe you tried to put something together this weekend. It didn't happen. Um, what, what's the next move for him? We're working on it. We're working on it. So, obviously, uh, Literally, Jeremy Stevens will not stop blowing me up. He wants this fight so bad. He said he'll take it on short notice. He's cutting weight already and, and uh, with the hopes that, that Ortega will accept the fight. Ortega has turned down the fight. Um, so, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Nice. And I guess uh, still a good card. I mean, even with that unfortunate news, still a very, very good card. I'm just curious, Dana, what the... Thought process was how you picked these two guys, the other two heavyweights here, to be your co-main event. Was it a was it an easy pick? What was the decision making process? Yeah, well, obviously, you know, when when you're putting together a card, and especially it's International Fight Week, um, it, it takes a lot of timing and and things to come together and, and and be right. A lot of guys were healthy. A lot of guys hadn't fought in a while, and everybody wanted to fight on International Fight Week. And then what was awesome too is that these two accepted a fight with each other, light heavyweight versus the heavyweight champion. Um, which after, when they both won their last fight, I felt this was the funnest fight to make at the heavyweight division right now, and they both agreed to it. So, yeah, and let's not even talk about these two. I mean, that's, that's another, another great heavyweight fight. We got Mike Perry versus Felder. You got Chiesa versus Pettis, which was supposed to happen. Um, the whole card is stacked with great fights. Prelims are awesome, too, so... Um, question for Dana. Good afternoon, gentlemen. Um, question for Dana, first of all. Going back to um, the Max Holloway situation, uh, can you just assure us that he um, has had uh, MRA, MRI, EEG scans and he will be having those? I did speak to a consultant neurosurgeon and kind of talked him through the comments that, uh, that Max's team had put out. And you know, he said it could be a number of things. That was his diagnosis from very simple things 
to like the beginning of an epilepsy or whatever condition it is, but can you assure us that he is going through all these testings? No, he's done no testing. Of course he's done testing. <laughs> of course he's done testing. We're, we're, we're running him through every test there is, and he probably needs to, you know, I, I just got back from vacation today, so, I, you know, I'm just getting in the loop on most of this stuff, but... You know, he, he needs to go to like the Mayo Clinic or one of these type of places and do a full, um, yes, we will take care of Max Holloway and he'll go through every type of testing there is until we can figure out what's wrong with him. Yeah, the question was just posed as, as you said, he's saying he's fine and obviously he isn't. There yeah, is well, originally this happened on, I believe, Monday. this started on Monday and um, he went through a bunch of tests at the hospital and they thought he was fine. Then, you know, he did that interview with Michael Bisping and uh, you know, people started to realize that something wasn't right and they brought him back in and started testing him again. Dana, with Max falling off the card and this happening last year with Amanda on the day of the fight actually, how frustrated are you with this happening to the fans and you know, missing some of the fights that they're looking forward to and is there any kind of things that you can do to you know, help this process moving forward? Is there any kind of review or procedures or anything like that you're going to change to make try to ensure this doesn't happen anymore it's impossible it's impossible to ensure what happened to Holloway doesn't happen it's just it's one of these crazy things Listen, you're dealing with human beings people get sick things happen you know it's it's uh it's unfortunate but it's it's it happens there's nothing you can do about it I mean, we, we've done Everything you could possibly try to do to, 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 to make these guys healthier, to, you know, to um, give them a safer place to train and et cetera, et cetera. Eat the right foods. I mean, we have a restaurant at the, at the PI where they can eat for free, and we've done everything that, that you can possibly do to, to try to limit this. And is uh, Brian Ortega's answer absolutely no, or does he still have time to change his mind on Stevens? Well, his manager's sitting right in the front row here. Uh, <laughs> Ed Soros is here. All right. Bet you wish you didn't come to this press conference. Is it an absolute no or is it a maybe? It's what? It's no. Get him, everybody. We did. We did talk. Frankie Edgar is a stud. Everybody in this planet knows that we called him he said yes and his family came back and said no his family was like there's no way he's going to take this fight that's an absolute fact calm down sir it really happened so yeah he, he he's a stud he, he wanted to take the fight he, he actually was going to take the fight against jeremy stevens they wanted for the interim title um you know, believe me, we, we, we tried everything we could to, to, to put another fight on this card, and uh, it didn't work out. All right, so that was earlier today. Where, 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 we're at Palms. We're at the Palms we're at, at that point. I'm losing track. We're, we're bouncing around from hotel to location to place to place. I didn't even mention that we're at the spiritual birthplace oh, yeah. of the MMA Roadshow. Buffalo Wild Wings at Warm Springs in Durango. Enjoying a nice frosty beverage. 
uh, uh, won't be able to have too many of them tonight because we still got some long days to go. Tomorrow we've got official weigh-ins in the morning. Then we've got ceremonial weigh-ins. Then we got the Ultimate Fighter finale. A lot going on. But today, again, it was the press conference that we went to earlier today. Now, it, it was a sad occasion when we found out that the, that the card was that the fight was gone, that the co-main event was gone. But today, when we got to the press conference, I mean, I think it was Dave Doyle had tweeted out uh, early in the day as we as we were heading over to the press conference, and I think he nailed it. It was so right. He was like. If we thought all along that Stipe Miocic versus Daniel Cormier was the main event and Francis Ngannou versus Derek Lewis was the co-main event, I think we'd all been like, hell yeah, take my money. And uh, we went over there for the press conference day, and after we got out all the uh, the sad parts of the of the discussion, then we got into just having some fun with those four up there. And, uh, man, a, a spirited day, I thought. Uh, uh, in light of a sad development in the week, Today was a fun press conference. It felt like the event got back on track again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes, and we spoke about this in the car, very few, I can't think of another sport that seems to suffer the amount of just regular setbacks uh, that, that, that the UFC does. You know, even like within the sport of MMA, the UFC seems to be the one that really cops it. But also, I don't know of another sports organization on the planet that has the, I'm going to use a, uh, a footballing slang word here, bounce back ability. Oh. Right? The ability to just rebound, adapt, move, and stay agile, and keep the show rolling. Uh, the UFC does an incredible job of it, and sometimes I think that that, that gets lost among amongst all of the uh, all of the wailing and gnashing of teeth over fights disappearing and all the rest of it. They do an incredible job, especially the people behind the scenes dealing with all the PR, dealing with all of the the graphics, the banners, the yeah. packages, everything. You know, a, a lot of that stuff will have needed to have been recut. So. Those guys are working into the night getting all that stuff done. So that's worth mentioning as well. But when you know that you've got such a strong card, this is why we're saying they didn't need that extra fight because everybody moves up one. Derek Lewis, <laughs> Derek Lewis versus Francis Ngannou. I've been excited for that fight from the minute it was booked. Yes. It's uh, a fight people have been asking for for years. I'm glad we waited until now. Because I remember when they first fought on a card together in Croatia, we were for that, right away yeah. people were like, "Let's put them on a, you know, let's put them together." And like, no, 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 let them develop, build a them bit. separately, let them have bring their them pass. together. That's right. And now it makes sense, right? Because at least one of them had a title shot in Francis Ngannou. Derek Lewis had some other setbacks, so now it makes sense. And you know, it's funny because they've they've poked each other a little bit along the way, a little social media here, a, a comment in an interview there. But when we finally saw those two stand face to face together, oh lordy! If you have not seen the stare down, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you put put the show on pause and go watch the stare down. They don't want to break break eye contact. They will not break each other's gaze. Dana White finally has to crowbar them apart. Yeah, physically push himself in between them to get them apart. Uh, man, I, I mean, it doesn't take much to get excited for that fight. I mean, you just look at those two guys, you know what they're capable of. But then you add that little flavor of the tension today, and uh, it could be fun. I'm going to just say one thing. I don't know what the refereeing assignments are going to be for that fight. but And I, I do think Keith Peterson is a fine referee. But I've I got to imagine they need someone a little bit bigger than him for that fight. Because uh, I love Keith Peterson. But yeah, he doesn't come out to Vegas much. He's probably happy on this occasion. Because whoever wins is going to end up with one guy on top of the other guy, smashing oh. them to smithereens. They're going to need a fair old lump of a ref to get that guy off. So whether it's... Whether it's someone like uh, Goddard, who's got a little bit of uh, a little bit of presence in there, or you know Herb, Herb's quite a big lad as well. They're going to need somebody capable of rugby tackling that guy off because 
it's going to finish either in, way. It's going to finish in very nasty fashion. I think it's going to it's going to be a hell of a fight. I don't think it'll last very long. No. Uh, but I think it's going to be it's going to be one of those where everybody just walks away going, "Woohoo!" That yeah. was. And uh, it's going to uh, and it's going to set the tone perfect for the main event. You know what I mean? That's going to be the perfect setup. I, I believe so. I mean, I, I just on paper I think this has got to be fun, and it was fun today. Uh, the, the, man, the the crowd was fun today. I, I love it when the crowd takes part a little bit, like yells a little bit. You know, the, the room isn't quiet. Uh, you, you know, you had the, the situation where Dana White was presented with the key to the city, and then somebody brilliant. asked him about that, and, then, and somebody yelled out, it's the interim key. And uh, even Dana White had he to crack up that He referenced it again. Yeah, he uh, made sure everybody heard what was said yeah. because it was so damn funny. That was good. You had other people, you know, yelling out, you're going to win, you're going to lose. You're the, I mean, I like that stuff. It kind of said New York always has great crowds like that. And this – Sometimes Vegas, you know, maybe it's the heat, maybe it's the the drink that everybody's had or whatever. Sometimes it's a little more laid back, and uh, today they brought it. So, man, here we are on this high note, right? And we're like, oh, man, what a fantastic press conference we just had. And then Daniel Cormier stands up and falls back, flat on his back. And we can't even see where we were. We were on the floor. This was an elevated stage, so uh, we couldn't really see exactly what happened. It turns out uh, I spoke with some USC officials. He, it was a, a well. And actually, we talked to some others later together. But there was a speaker that was positioned behind him, and I guess there were two. And it's basically speakers so that they can hear because they they can't hear our questions unless they have those speakers right there. And he saw one, but he didn't see the other. He stepped back in the other direction and fell over that. Um, <laughs> scary moment. Got up, definitely limped a little bit as he left. Um, I was trying to read his facial expression. I was shooting photos as well and even going back and looking at the photos. I was trying to read his facial expression. It definitely looked like he was grimacing a little bit. I think some of it might have been a little frustration, a little embarrassment as well. I mean, who wants to be, you know, you're about to fight the heavyweight champ of the world and you're falling over at a, at a table. It doesn't look good. Uh, I'm sure he was angry as well. You know, I mean, did that happen? When he walked back on the stage, well, first of all, it, when he walked back on the stage to come do the face-off, it didn't look like he was limping at that point. Now he could have been, you know, I've got to, I've got, you know, I've got to make sure that nobody sees what's happening. You know, so he could have been, you know, keeping his stiff upper lip, so to speak. I did see, I could, I could make out Dana White talking to him as soon as the face-offs were done. He, he, right away, he's like, "Are you okay?" And, and 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 Daniel Cormier did seem to say, "Yeah, I'm okay." He's taken to social media and said, yeah. "I'm good. The fight's not in jeopardy." Um, I don't know if it was supposed to be on record or not, but I think. Mark Raimondi of MMA Fighting was sitting next to us at one point tonight. Said he had heard there was a little bit of swelling. Um, you know, I guess maybe nothing a little ice can't fix overnight. Uh, you know, fortunately he doesn't have a. It's not he's got to go hop on a treadmill to uh, to cut weight or anything like that. So that's a, that's a blessing. But what a bizarre moment! And the look on Dana White's face was just like you've got to be effing kidding me. Yeah, I mean, I I, I wrote about it on the on. To, uh, on, on, on my fight week blog for for the Fight Nation, Dana arrived back in Vegas after uh, after a vacation, and uh, if that fight had been scuppered as a result of that, wouldn't have wouldn't have put it past him to just get back on a plane and take off again. Because <laughs> honestly, out. I'm out. The yeah, International Fight Week is is borderline cursed. We referred to it at the start. 2015 UFC 189. It was supposed to be Jose Aldo versus Conor McGregor. Jose Aldo gets a kick to uh, to his rib uh, about a week out from the fight if I remember rightly and they drafted in Chad Mendes right. and they made it an interim title fight 
You're, in 2016, John Jones was supposed to fight Daniel Cormier. I remember we were in uh, we were in Beer House in Vegas, and we both got separate phone calls saying, "Get over to the MGM Grand." Don't say a word to anybody. Don't Just say a word to, to the MGM Grand now. And we went over there. We thought it was because the UFC was being sold or something. Dana even said, "How many yeah. of you think you're here because the UFC got sold?" I remember we sat in that press conference, and we all, no one knew. And then Jeff Nowitzki walked past, oh. and everybody just went, "Oh <gasps> shit!" Because <laughs> <laughs> poor old Jeff, whatever he t- he's always he's always harbinger of doom, isn't he? He's a man who has to deliver the, the news. The black no cloud, one. he says. Some people call him. <laughs> yeah. So so we had that, and then in 2017, UFC Women's Bantamweight Champ Amanda Nunes pulled out of her fight with Valentina Shevchenko due to sinusitis. And then we had Holloway yesterday. So that's four years on the trot where Crazy. we've lost a world title fight during International Fight Week. If we'd have lost another one today, can you imagine? Okay. I mean, we, you know, we've just, we haven't even talked about the other fights on the card yet. This is a strong fight card. Top to bottom, a really good fight card. You can't lose two title fights off a fight card. It's, it would be oh. catastrophic. So the fact that it seems like... Can you like imagine a, you lose both title fights? Oh it would, it would just, you know, you, you, just, you, just, you just quit at that point. You just, come on, you know? But touch wood, it looks like DC might be okay. Um, I was the, saying, I, I think it's probably fortunate that he tripped over a speaker because what I was worried is either a, roll, roll an ankle or something. Yeah, like had know? it been like some some cords or like you know some of those folding chairs. Sometimes if your foot, you know, yeah, mm-hmm. if it would have been something like that where you're talking about more of a twist or a turn versus you know baby basically kind of a straight fall out. I think that's. I mean, it's, again, I feel bad for him. Who, who the hell wants that to happen? But yeah. uh, probably probably safer. Yeah. Probably? I, 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 well, yes, relative, yeah, isn't it? But knock yeah. on wood. Knock yeah, on wood. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I think – I mean, the worry was he didn't bounce straight back up. Right. Took a second. So, that could have been down to a number of factors. He could have been just pissed off and frustrated that he'd just fallen over. He's a professional athlete and a wrestler. Yeah. Wrestlers do not go to ground unless they choose to. <laughs> right? He got taken down by a speaker, so that would have pissed him off. Um, so, there's the embarrassment factor. There's, there's, there's also the fact that – He's done it in front of all these people. Oh. He's on a live stream. Oh. He's got a world title fight in two days' time. Oh. Everything about it was just was just ridiculous. That, that's and what I was hoping the grimace on his face was more of like a little bit of embarrassment, frustration, anger yeah. than full physical pain. Yeah, and I think all credit to DC. DC has got an excellent sense of humor. Right. And I think as time as time elapsed, he eventually went on social media and he was like, I didn't see that speaker coming. That's so, um, so, you know, I think he's trying to laugh it off. And uh, you just hope that he is 100% when he gets in there against Stipe because he's going to need to be. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, let's talk about, let's talk about some of the other, the other fights that are on this card because it's a great card. How about the one that I thought stole the show today, uh, Paul Felder versus Mike Perry, a fight that didn't even exist, you know, 10 days ago. Now it's all of a sudden kind of the featured fight. You know, it's that third slot. Um, and, and, I mean – Heat, right? I mean, this this thing has got heat. I mean, we already knew stylistically it was going to be fun. Automatically, when this whole thing happened with Holloway Ortega, we all said, come on, bro, put that one on the main card. Easy money. They did move it to the main card. And, uh, man, did not disappoint today at the stare downs. I know you had a chance to, to talk to both guys as well. Uh, dude, I mean, first of all, that, that, that – sta- I mean – I guess it's an easy. I mean, it's an easy piece of trash talk for Mike Perry. Basically, you know, they're walking out to face each other, and he asked Paul Felder, "You know, are you ready to become a full-time commentator?" Of course, insinuating that I'm going to retire you with this. I mean, that's not. I guess that's not the most creative trash talk ever. But I haven't heard anybody use it on Paul Felder yet. And uh, 
And then he stood next to him, and as they stood, he kind of pointed to him and was like, see, no size advantage. Like, I just got a skill advantage. And, and then he just yells out this guttural primal, like, like, it's great to be back. And, and, and he had more of it later, I guess. Hell, we saw, we heard. Uh, well, I didn't. I shouldn't say we heard. I mean, I guess it's visible to everybody on his Instagram stories. He was hanging out at a pool party. At, at, at the, I mean, this guy is uh, he's he's a little. Mike Perry's a little bit of a nutcase, but he's a fun nutcase. And uh, man, these guys are fired up. It, it sounds like it seems like it's gonna be a great fight. Yeah, I need to pull you up on a, on a, just a point of fact. He's not a little bit of a nutcase. He's a complete nutcase. <laughs> he's he's. A, Mad as a box of frogs is Mike Perry, and we love him for it because he's one of the sports characters. Uh, sometimes he, he treads that fine line where he needs reining in a little bit with some of the things he said in the past. But you talk to him one-on-one, -on -one and he's, he's, he's a journalist dream. He gives you something every time. Um, and Gives you his full attention. He really just, does. I mean, he, yeah. he, you know, he's engaged with you when you talk to him. It's, it's not all just, you know, craziness. No, and... Uh, it's, it's weird, isn't it? You know, he was supposed to fight Yancey Medeiros, which is a fight that I think all of us were really excited about. How rare is it where you can have a fight fall through because a fighter has to drop off the card and you're equally, if not more, excited with the replacement? Yeah. All due respect to Yancey Medeiros, oh. that, that would have been a phenomenal fight and maybe we'll see that further down the line, hopefully. But Felder versus Perry is, is outstanding. Uh, Felder is incredibly focused and businesslike ahead of this one. You know, he's very much with the view that uh, this is a martial artist against a thug, I think he said uh, to uh, to somebody uh, during during the, during one of the media scrums. He sees this very much as a case of Felder's the guy with the skill. Uh, he's the martial artist, and Mike Perry is basically a, a, a brawler. Um, and it's going to be really interesting to see how Felder uses Perry's aggression against him, because we know what Perry's like. He likes to come forward. Perry actually told us he he needs to just dial it back a little bit. Um, he said, uh, "Don't burn yourself out. Since, Don't open well, yourself up to mistakes." Since he's been at Jackson's, he said he needs to make sure that he's not just full throttle. He needs to be, he needs to be just reining things back a little bit, technique and explosion at the same time. Yes. You know, not just all guns blazing, gung ho. You have to sort of pick your moment a little bit more. And he's he also said he, he, his last fight he lost to uh, to Max Griffin. He didn't do a warm up ahead of that fight. He just chilled out in the dressing room and relaxed. And he said it took him the first two rounds to warm up, by which point he was down on the cards. He had a good third round, but he lost. Right. Um, he said he's going he's gonna to be warming up quite significantly before he gets out there. So expect him to come out the gates flying on Saturday night. That has got fight of the night written all over it. That's going to be a lot of fun, man. It's so crazy to think, you know, we lost one fight, but, but we, we got that fight. I mean, that was a fight, like I said, that didn't even exist a couple weeks ago. And uh, it does look like it's going to be a lot of fun. Michael Chiesa versus Anthony Pettis, of course, the rescheduled fight. Uh, that was supposed to take place back in Brooklyn when all the madness unfolded there. Uh, of course, Michael Chiesa, you know, still has some looming uh, lawsuits pending against Mr. Conor McGregor. I'm sure he looks forward to getting that worked out. Uh, you know, we had, we had talked to him at the USC Performance Institute, and uh, he kind of laid out some of his feelings on that. But, um, man, they're, they're staring down today, too. Some tension, some tension. I thought it was very a very fierce uh, and, you know, Kessa, as, as, as Anthony Pettis kind of walked away as they started to split on the stage, he kind of gave him the dismissal wave as, like, get out of here, you know. Uh, that fight, you know, it, I think I was always excited for this fight. I don't – I got to say, I think I have the worst gauge on Anthony Pettis, man. I have a hard – I just – because when he's on, he's on. When he's on, he can beat anybody. But, you know, the consistency issues are, aren't there. 
uh, or, or the consistency is there. The consistency is not there. And, you know, I've talked to Anthony recently, and he said that, you know, it feels like he's in a really good place, and it feels like mentally, you know, all those things are right. Um, but, man, he's going to have to be on point against Kiesa. This is, this is a good fight, and it's like I said, the tension was there today in the face-off. I think this is a really, really big fight for both guys. Absolutely. Both of these guys are coming in with a big point to prove. You know, they're both coming in off the back of defeats. Anthony Pettis lost to Dustin Poirier. He got, he got TKO'd. He had that, that, that body shot finished him off. Um, and you got Michael Chiesa. His last fight was that loss to Kevin Lee, which he strongly disputed at the time, if right. you remember rightly. <laughs> Goes down in the books as a technical submission. Um, but he, he insisted that he didn't, he didn't go out in that fight. So he, in his mind, probably doesn't chalk that down to a loss. He probably sees that as a referee Absolutely. mistake. He, he hates Mario Yamasaki. Yeah, exactly. So, so taking that out of the equation, he, he was on a three-fight tear going into that fight. Um, he's got a lot to prove. I think Chiesa has the perfect game to, uh, to, deal, with, to deal with Anthony Pettis because Chiesa's got big size advantage. Yes, you really does. saw that in, in, in the face-offs today. But Chiesa, straight from, from the first bell, I expect him to get right right in uh, Pettis's face, not giving the room to uh, to launch those kicks that he's he does so well. His kicks are such an important part of Anthony Pettis's game. People quite often will walk through his punches, but they won't walk through his kicks. If Chiesa can close that distance and get his hands on him, now he's got a good ground game, Pettis, but off his back, I'm not so sure. He's, he's got good attacking ground game. He's going to have to be on his guard against uh, against someone like Chiesa, who is who is arguably the the uh, the best or second best if you take Khabib grappler in that division. Yeah, and as you say, Kiesa comes in with a big chip on his shoulder, man. You think about where he was a year ago, and you t you, you you put in the loss, which he disputes. And I I will say, and, I, and I'm a big Michael Kiesa fan. I thought he was going out. I thought Mario Yamasaki didn't do himself any favor. I mean, not that we need to rehash this old controversy, but in going through it, you know, I I, I do think Kiesa was going out. I understand his frustration. I think Yamasaki kind of screwed himself by not waiting an extra tick of a second, you know, to let him go all the way out. Um, but you think about where Kiesa was, you take that loss, and then you take the fact that you had a fight taken away from you because of a dumbass, you know, incident with the, with the broken glass and stuff. I mean, dude, he's, he's coming in with a chip on his shoulder. This is, is going to be a good fight. Khalil Roundtree versus Gokan Saki rounds out the main guard. And, oh, I love this fight too. Gokan Saki, um, you're funny. You and I were talking today. I mean, it's crazy when you stand next to that guy to think about the absolute monsters that he has been in the kickboxing ring with. Um, the Turkish Tyson is not afraid of anybody, you know, but he, he makes up for size and power, I guess. Um, meanwhile, Khalil Roundtree, well, not, you know, not the, the hulking six foot five, whatever. I mean, Khalil's a big dude, and, and Khalil's a guy that, um, again, he's a Vegas guy, so I'm, I'm, I'm partial to him. Uh, I, I called a couple of his fights and tough enough, so I saw him come up as an amateur. Uh, so I've always, you know, I, I take a keen interest in his career because I've watched it so closely. Um, and, and this is a bit, I mean, this. This could be fireworks. Yeah, really interesting stat that Mike Bond pulled out when we were talking to Gokan Saki. Khalil Roundtree has never attempted a takedown in the UFC. Did you know that? That's crazy. Yeah, and he said he said to uh, Gokan, do you think Saturday night might be the time where he brings out his takedown? <laughs> and Gokan's like, I really, I really don't care. You know, it doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. And I, I, I think it would be, it would be. Career, career suicide for Khalil Roundtree to stand with Gokhan Saki for any longer than he absolutely has to. He's a big, strong guy. He should have a wrestling advantage over over Saki. He'll certainly have a, a strength advantage, I would imagine. Yep. Uh, he's a bigger, stronger guy. He's a strapping guy for, for a 205er. He'd be, he'd be a reasonable-sized heavyweight without being... He'd probably be like a two, 
230-pound heavyweight, I would imagine, if he was if he was fighting optimally in that division. But, yeah, Saki, it's weird because he's not that much taller than me. And he's he's been in there trading, trading power shots of, like, Daniel Gita, who is an absolute huge, huge kickboxer and putting out some of the very best kickboxers on the planet. And... I sometimes wonder, he's uh, he's opening up this main card as a light heavyweight against Khalil. And at the top of the card are four of the hardest hitting heavyweights in the, in the UFC. And I sometimes wonder whether Gokan looks at them and says, four ounce gloves. If you want to stand with me, I'd fancy my chances. Gokan is an absolute monster as, from, from a striking perspective. I think we're going to see his uh, all-round MMA game tested. If, if he keeps it standing, then uh, I have a feeling that Mr. Roundtree might be... Uh, might might be going down. It's tense, man. This is a sick man card. It really is. Let's just burn through the prelims real quick because we got <laughs> so much more to still talk about. It's crazy. Uh, talk to me what stands out to you because there's there's a lot of fights on here that are still fun. You know, it's funny. I was talking to the boys from Submission Radio uh, earlier this week, and they were like, hey, man, is this card as loaded as 225 was? And I was like, ah, not quite as loaded. And I still kind of feel that way. But I personally, I think, care about every fight on this. Like, Paulo Costa, Bohashinya versus Uriah Hall. Fireworks written all over that, no question about it. Rafael Sunsau, perennial contender against Rob Font. That could be a lot of fun. I know Sunsau doesn't necessarily get the love sometimes. I think he deserves. He's a fantastic fighter. Jakar Close versus Lando Venata. Stylistically, that could be a lot of fun. Uh, Max Griffin against Curtis Milner. I like both those guys, and they had a tense face-off today. So I don't know if there's a beef there. that Maybe they had some social media going back and forth that I didn't know about, but uh, interesting stuff there. Gilbert Burns versus Dan Hooker. I'm a big Hangman fan, but Dorino is a beast as well. And then, of course, the ladies as well. It's a cross-town Vegas rivalry. I, I, you know, I can imagine for the casual fan or somebody that's, you know, not really, they might say, ah, Jamie Moyle, Emily Whitmire, what do I care about that? But that's, uh, you know, that's a cross-town Vegas rivalry. That's Syndicate versus Extreme Couture, you know. So, yeah. so, I mean, so everything on here has, like, storylines that I care about, maybe not necessarily contender fights or whatever. Um, but, but so – I originally told the guys I thought 225 was a little more stacked. I still kind of feel that way, uh, especially now that we lost the, the, the fight that I thought was the, the, you know, one of the best of the year. But uh, there's some fantastic prelims on here. Which, which ones are you looking forward to? I love the Dan Hooker-Gilbert Burns fight. Gilbert Burns, we spoke, in fact, I spoke, to, I spoke to both these guys, and uh, it was really interesting. Gilbert is former jiu-jitsu, a Brazilian jiu-jitsu world champion, but he's now discovered his punch power. Yes, he has. His last two fights were won by clean KO. So this is a guy who really does have a well-rounded game. He's got he's dangerous with his hands. And we talked to Dan Hooker, and Dan Hooker made a really interesting point. He said he, he was in this position before himself where he suddenly realized he could knock people out because he started out grappling, then ended up uh, working on his striking. And he says, I'll be amazed if he doesn't fall in love with his power. We see it happen all the it time. Happen, and that's exactly what he said. That's exactly what he said. All the time. And uh, he, think, he thinks that that might potentially be the opening that he needs. Although he's got no qualms about being on the, on the mat with Burns. I think he, he, he said to us, I know what I'm doing down there. I know what I'm doing. So I think that'll be a cracking fight. That's one of the, uh, the fight pass prelims. Uh, Lando Venata, um, he's, coming in, he's coming in with a little bit of... Uh, a little bit of a personal mission. He's been going through a bit of a bad spell. Kind of shared uh, some emotion with you guys. Yeah, today. he did. He, he he didn't elaborate too much. Uh, he didn't want to go into too much detail, but sounds like he's been, he's experiencing, or he has experienced some bouts of depression, panic attacks, and things like this for the first time in his life. Wow. Um, and anybody anybody who knows what what that feels like knows knows just how scary that can be. And uh, but he feels like he feels like he's, he's he's back in a good place now. He's 
but I think this is an important one for him. And, you know, Lando's a very uh, a very bouncy character as well. You know, you watch what he does in the cage. He's so fun. He's such a fun guy to watch. So for someone who has that, has that reputation of being such a happy-go-lucky sort of persona in the cage, having to deal with some sort of darker things outside... Uh, it just shows you that everybody's a human, right? And everyone has to deal with their own their own little foibles as life goes on. So he's a, he's on a little bit of a mission. And Rafael Asuncao, I'm interested to see how he goes against Rob Font. Rob Font is ready to take his opportunity today. We spoke to both these guys as well. He's really up for this. He looks completely relaxed and at ease with what he has in front of him. Rafael Asuncao looks like a man who's pretty frustrated with his position right yes. now. Um, not a trash talker. He really isn't. Not he? a big promotion guy. You know, a guy that just wants to win and let his wins speak for themselves. But unfortunately, that's not speaking loudly enough. Yep. Um, and I don't know what he needs to do uh, because he's winning fights. Uh, he needs to finish fights more, I guess. He, he does He does tend to go to a decision a fair bit. Um, but I think, you know, when you're fighting at the top of the division, these things, you know, the, you know, the competitiveness goes up, doesn't it? So he's he's been unfortunate that he's... With everything that's going on at the top of that bantamweight division as well, we could potentially see a trilogy fight yep. if uh, if Cody beats TJ second time round. Yep. So I know that he's hoping that TJ wins so that that gets put to bed. Uh, and then that might open the door for a Sunset being a fresh face and a fresh name. Uh, but yeah, he's in a tricky spot and I don't really know where he goes after this fight. So he's he's fighting quite frustrated. But yeah, I mean, if I was picking one out, it would be the Dan Hooker-Gilbert Burns fight. I'm really looking forward to that. Great great stylistic matchup. I think the Bohashinia versus Hall is one that really stands out to me as well, man. Bohashinia, Paulo Costa. I wish it would have changed the cost. I like Bohashinia. It's just fun to say. You know what I mean? Uh, I, that dude has looked like a, just an absolute unstoppable specimen. And then, of course, Uriah, man, when he's on, He's on, yeah. you know what I mean? And uh, so that's that's going to be a fun fight. But uh, I, this card, I think, is going to be a lot of fun top to bottom. Uh, okay, listen, uh, other thing we did tonight, because it's been a long day, my friend. It's <laughs> oh, been a long you're telling day. me, yeah. Uh, USC Hall of Fame, USC Hall of Fame. Yeah. Um, interesting tonight. Um, you know, the USC Hall of Fame is one of those things, much like we've talked about the World of MMA Awards a little bit this week, where, you know, it kind of came with a little bit of hesitation. Uh, MMA fans don't like change, number one. Uh, number two, they, it seems like a lot of them like to poop on things just to poop on them. You know what I mean? Uh, but I I, uh, I kind of enjoyed the Hall of Fame tonight. I, I, you know, the the people behind it are really putting in some work on it. I know I know they did a lot. Last year's was really, really, really long. And they did a lot. They, they, they put in a lot of time to make sure that things were tighter, that the presentation moved along a little bit faster. Uh, Matt Serra basically told them they could uh, shove that wherever they like. He was put the teleprompter aside. I'm going to say whatever I want. Uh, Art Davey, uh, Art Davey had kind of a lengthy presentation as well. But Art Davey, such a as you, I mean, you said to me as we were talking, he's such a fantastic storyteller. He you really know what is. I mean? he, he really he's is. captivating. And sometimes you're like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, he, I mean, he has so much historical knowledge because obviously this was his baby. Um, and then the, just the way he tells stories, you could you could let him you could let him read you the menu here at B Dubs, and it'd probably be pretty damn entertaining. You know what I mean? But but overall, you know, they they introduced the uh, the Hall of Fame jackets this year, which. I didn't hate, you know, that's kind of a, I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that happens elsewhere, but, you know, like the Hall of Fame jackets at like the uh, the Hall of Fame, the Sporting Hall of Fames here is kind of a big deal. Yeah. So I thought that was kind of cool and it wasn't the ugly yellow of the NFL, you know what I mean? It was just a, it was a little bit softer tone. I, I like that. Um, they did raise some money for charity this evening as well. Um, but I don't know, I, overall, I, I kind of enjoyed it. And I think what I really enjoy about it, um, 
I mean, Ronda's speech was – it was good to hear Ronda talk again other than, you know, pointing at a WrestleMania board or whatever. <laughs> uh, and, I, and, I'll, and kudos to her. You know, she didn't necessarily address her, the end of her career. But I don't know what we expect her to say anymore at this point. But I will say, you know, I liked her kind of message of empowerment. Um, she did mean a lot to women and to girls especially. Man, I'm telling you, I, say what you will about her fighting career. Say I, I know fans – it's kind of – it seems like now – I think MMA has almost turned on her, man. I think MMA almost hates her now. Uh, but you can't rewrite history of what she meant, and you can't rewrite history of, of, of especially what she meant to women. I remember see, I remember just seeing it firsthand of, like, open workouts happening. I remember the, 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 the Carmouche fight. You know, it was in one of those big UFC gyms, you know, one of the flagship ones that are massive in Southern California, and it was packed with women too. You know, that soccer moms and their daughters, you know, packed around to see an open workout. Like, what? I've never seen this before. And, I'll never forget before the Alexis Davis fight, they had an open workout here at Fashion Show Mall just down on the strip. And, uh, you know, it's kind of an open area where people can walk up and, and young girls, like, shaking and crying, you know, to meet her. And, and uh, you know, Dana talked a lot about it in his induction speech about how much she meant to women. And obviously I'm not a woman. I don't have a daughter. I mean, so I can't necessarily verify that firsthand as far as, like, family. But... I just, from what I saw, like, I, I completely believe and buy that. And her, her place in history is, is, is secure. So, but, but what I really love, I mean, seeing a Dan Henderson honored in a, in a special way. Not that he hasn't gotten some nice paychecks in, in along the way. You know, Matt Sarah, I don't, it's just, it's cool to honor our past. You know what I mean? To kind of bring the sport back. And I, I don't know, man. I, I'm sure there's some people that, ah, the Hall of Fame. And it could be better. I would love for us as media at some point to have some kind of, so it's more of a traditional Hall of Fame or whatever. I would love to see something like that. But in the, in the meantime, I don't know. There's, I, to me, I still think there's something cool about kind of honoring those people to, that, that paved the way and, and, and maybe in the tail end of their careers and things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's still relatively young in its, uh, in it, in its life, isn't it? So, But I, I, it was the first time I'd really sat on – and, and sort of watch one all the way through. Uh, I'd, I'd only ever really watched clips in the past. Right. But I thought it was I thought it was a really nicely put together event. And uh, you know, you talk about Ronda Rousey and the impact that she has and or has had. Um, my wife is to say she detests MMA is probably about right. She really. <laughs> she she that's she. Hel- that's healthy. Well, no no no. She <laughs> she just absolutely abhors violence. Right. She 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 cannot stand it. And. There are lots of people who, who feel the same. They're not MMA fans. Right. But I tell you something, when Ronda Rousey fought, she wanted to know what was going on. Yep. Um, because I, I showed her how Ronda would win fights without throwing a punch. And that was interesting to her. There was also the message of empowerment she was putting out, the whole sort of do nothing bitch and all that stuff that she did. And and the, the reaction that she was getting... Uh, it, it's almost been forgotten about all that sort of stuff, sure. you know. And, and she was such a such a a lightning rod for bringing bringing females into the sport and and also empowering women as well. But you know, she's not she's not alone in that. There are other great female role models out there, you know. But within within the sport that we work in, she 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 sort of transcended everything. And uh, and I, th- I think uh, I spoke to you about it when we were we just we just watched it all. The way that she exited the sport, obviously, the, you know, there were the defeats. And from a media perspective, she didn't seem to handle those defeats particularly well. Right. And from a media perspective, she didn't really give us too much. And, yeah, okay, there were, she got a lot of stick on social media when she lost. But 
it was almost as if the media got some of the got some of the blame for that. It's at least that's how it felt. It did. But yeah, but, I mean, we heard but, like how we turned on her or something. Yeah, like, exa- what are you talking about? Yeah, exactly. So, and I don't necessarily, I, I don't buy into that. But she's a very emotional, yes. uh, an emotionally charged competitor. She seemed she very obviously did compete on emotion. And at the end of the day, she's the one getting in there and competing and 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 you know putting herself at risk and you know going through all the hard work. If that's how she deals with defeats, that's how she deals with defeats. All we can do is 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 cover her sport and and, and you know cover you know cover her fights. It's not for us to say how you should behave and how you should deal with things. That's right. Um, you know, Conor McGregor when he lost to Nate Diaz, he almost drew the template for how to react to that, a defeat. That was the epitome. And I think I think because they happened within yes. relatively close proximity to one another, there was such a contrast. Yeah. It almost made the Ronda situation look worse. And and you know. With with a bit of time having elapsed, you sort of look back at it and you say, okay, she she just reacted differently, and that shouldn't necessarily be held against her for that. Uh, and she's gone on; she's clearly so incredibly happy that she's doing what she's doing right now. You know, I, I've I've not seen her that happy for forever, pretty much in terms of you know when she won, she was happy, but you see her in the WWE, she's loving it. it so and all, all power to her. I would agree, man. It, it, man, as an amateur and in Strike Force, she was that happy person. She had that spirit about her, but. Man, I think her time in the UFC, it weighed heavy on her, man. The, the expectations were there. Her competitive drive was there. It was difficult, man. A, a lot was placed on her. But, I, I, t- I mean, if you want to understand what people really think about talk to any of the women in the UFC today. Even Misha Tate doesn't – like, even Misha Tate will say, not my favorite person in the world, but absolutely, like, paved the way for us and, yeah. and opened doors for us. And, and – and, Pretty much everybody on the roster will say the same thing. And Karolina Kavalkovic, we actually saw her. The, uh, ca- the camera cut to her in the crowd while Ronda was doing a speech. She was, she was wiping her eyes. She was crying. And, and that tells you how much it meant. And the video package I actually did for, for Ronda was, yeah. was, was superb. It, it told the story brilliantly. And, you know, the, the different people. I mean, I, I, you may have put in an appearance yourself, yeah, Mr. You Moore. But, you know, we had <laughs> a whole host of female fighters were on there. Yeah, explain, that was cool. Explaining how... You know, stars in their own right now who explained it was Ronda that really let them know that they could make it. You know, they there was an opportunity there to make that jump into the UFC and compete on the world's biggest stage. So, you know, I, I think the impact and legacy of Ronda Rousey will, will basically live on forever because she's... you. It's like when someone becomes the first champion of something. You, you know, many people could become a champion, but there's only ever one first. Ronda Rousey was the first. Not just the first champion... She was the first female superstar in the UFC, and that will that will never ever be taken away from her. That's right. And that's that's and and her legacy is everything that follows. I wonder who the first World MMA Awards Journalist of the Year was. That would be a legacy that could never. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it was me. <laughs> no, uh, no. You know, uh, the other cool thing I just say about this, uh, the Hall of Fame. Uh, there are a couple of people, a handful of people behind the scenes at the UFC that are really committed to this and really want to keep improving. As you said, it's still pre- pretty young in its career. I think it's going to keep getting better, and I think it's a cool thing. And I- I'd love for there to be a physical Hall of Fame someday. I'd love for there to actually be a place, you know, maybe like a spot at T-Mobile Arena since they have – they don't have naming rights, but, you know, since they have like the branding, the permanent branding in there. I'd love to see like a, a- an exhibit in there that, that represented the UFC. I-, I would love to see a physical Hall of Fame at some point. It would be a great tourist attraction. And Ve- Vegas so. is the absolute – 
place for you know, you know there to was have consideration it. to do it uh, as part of the the corporate campus, which is not that far from from right. where we are. But it's just it's a bit off the beaten track, though, isn't it? It's a little bit away from the strip, yeah. and the other thing too is like just the security. I mean, they've got like you know they've got gated you know the, uh, for obvious reasons. Mm. There's security stuff. Then you're bringing people on. It's kind of tough. So I don't know. Like I, I, I mean, the tough gym. If they stop shooting tough, would be a cool place to do it. Except that. It's in a crappy place. It yeah. doesn't have any parking. It does. It's like, so it's, there's no good answer. But I would love to see a physical Hall of Fame. All right. Speaking of the USC Hall of Fame, there were a couple of USC Hall of Famers in the house tonight. Uh, it, there was a red carpet ceremony, which was pretty cool. This is the first time they had done this. Um, you know, a lot of current athletes, of former athletes, kind of walked this red carpet. Not really a formal interview set up, but most of them were, were kind and gracious with their time, including. Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, who, like it or not, are going to be fighting again. Um, I'm st I still don't know how I feel about this. I, I mean, listen, they're legends. They deserve to do whatever the hell they want with their bodies. And I guarantee you uh, this thing is going to do some numbers. I mean, they're still two of the most recognizable names and faces in the sport today. I don't know how quality the MMA is going to be. I, 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 I'm assuming they will be put through a litany of extra tests and, and stuff to ensure their sporting condition. Uh, we'll see. Uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Of course, Oscar De La Hoya, Golden Boy Promotions behind that. But out on the red carpet, Cold Coffee and the young Mike Bond uh, had a chance to catch up with both Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz. And Mike Bond kind of put the bug in their ear that they should face off, and we ended up getting a little face-off out. I mean, you know, cameras are here. Might as well take advantage. They uh, they did the face-off. I'm sure you've probably seen that by now. It's on social media everywhere. Uh, but I wanted you to get a, a chance to hear from these two MMA legends as well and, and kind of uh, make up your own mind on what you think about moving forward. So Chuck, <laughs> Chuck, so uh, the, the fight's signed, sealed, and delivered against Tito, right? Do you, uh, how excited are you? Well, we haven't gone through the long contract yet, and we haven't got a, a date or a venue yet, so I'm still, still waiting. But uh, I'm pretty sure it's going to go. So you know, it's not, you know, you know, Tito's Tito. So we'll see. I think he's still afraid of me, so still going to be a little bit, bit of time for him. So I think after getting a date and location. I, I, I was told soon. I'm, I'm hoping. Uh, I'm hoping this weekend. But because uh, I like to just get started and get get all that behind us and, and get working on the fight. So. It feels awesome, actually. I, you know, I I miss everything about fighting. So, you know, being back in the ring and being being out there again is uh, is it's going to be a great time for me. Do you feel as confident as ever against Tito, you know, despite after not fighting for so long, you can go in there and, you know, perform against him like you were able to the previous two? I'll beat him every time we fight. One, I'm going to get prepared for him because I, I can't stand to lose to the guy. Secondly, he's still afraid of me. He's still trying to convince himself he can beat me. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to fight a guy when you're that scared. Chuck, how does the rivalry between two people last for 15 years? I mean, how can you not bury a hatchet in that amount of time? Have you met him? <laughs> have you talked to him? Have you had any dealings with him? He just won't leave me alone. He won't shut up. You know, um, he should have left the sleeping dog, let a sleeping dog lie. Um, um, uh, he got me interested in fighting again, and 
he's going to pay for it. Is that the funnest part of, of your career? Or what was what was the, the highlight of your career? Was it Tito or was it something else? Uh, winning the title against Randy after Randy beat me. I consider Randy a much better opponent. Um, uh, Tito is just fun. You know, I just, I don't like the guy and he got a big mouth. And, you know, I, I beat him at everything. I, I beat him in a straight wrestling match. I don't know what people, I'll beat him in a straight wrestling match. His style of wrestling is the style of wrestling I like. I'll beat him in a jiu-jitsu match. It doesn't matter. I'll beat him at whatever we do. What's your reaction when you see all of the noise he's been making on social media, continually calling you out, telling you to sign the contract? Is it just funny to you at this point? Oh, it's really funny to me because it's always, it's never been a problem with me signing a contract. If you, you we're fight, I say I'm going to fight, we're going to fight. He's the one you got to worry about. Um, but yeah, I, I signed, by the way, I signed it first. Even though he was talking all that trash about me not signing, he hadn't signed yet. So it is what it is. Is it going to be strange for you coming back and fighting for under a banner that's not the UFC, that's with a foreign promoter who hasn't really done any MMA promotion? What's that going to be like for you, do you think? No, that's, a lot, that's exciting, actually. And, you know, I get a, I've done a lot of firsts in MMA. You know, and, now, and I'm really proud of that. And I, I got to do a lot of things first. And this will be, you know, maybe hopefully this is a sign of another way they got fighters getting paid. Um, he's not happy about it uh but if that's what i want to do he's not going to stop me do you guys still have much of a personal relationship yeah i still talk to dana on a regular basis yeah i talk to him here and there is there a current fighter that you would like to fight in the ufc um you know if, if i got around to fight in the ufc I, i'm gonna want to fight john um I, I, john likes to talk a lot and I, you know I, I i'd like to test his chin now that there's momentum towards this and it's moving now, is it still your goal to ultimately make this not a one-off and you do, you know, one, two, three, four fights? I, I will fight until I feel I shouldn't anymore. I mean, if I go out there and perform the way I think I will, or I know I will, I'll be fighting again. You know, bad feelings towards Tito's side. Are you surprised that, you know, you walked away quite a long time ago now that he has still been fighting rather consistently all these years later? I'm not surprised he actually he's five years younger than me. Uh, you know, he's stuck around a little bit longer. Um, yeah, I mean, he stayed busy, and that's that's normal. I mean, I, 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 I should have stayed busy, too. I mean, I should have stayed in the game, too. Chuck, is there anything that you've done in your retirement that has, like, fulfilled that, that, that hole, I guess, that walking out to the cage left? Uh, there's, there's nothing quite. I mean, I, I love raising my kids. I love being a, being a father. That's my favorite thing. But uh, that's not the same. It's something different. It's very rewarding. Um, I, I, I love spending time with my family, spending time with my kids. But, man, uh, walking out in the ring, with, I, I love fighting. I love what I do. I love my job. I love training. I love, I love everything about it. So, how, do you, how do you beat Tito? How's it go? Well, beating Tito, look, it's going to take about... I don't know, a couple, uh, I hit him a couple times in the head, defend a few shots, and he's going to break. He's a, he's, a, he's a mental midget. He's, he's a, like I'm saying, he's afraid of me. So once he figures out that I'm, that I'm not slowed down, I still hit hard, I can still stop a shot, he's going to break. How much do you miss this feeling? Like you, I can sense the intensity coming from you right now. And do you miss feeling this way and getting this kind of fired up and having this feeling, knowing that you're about to do this again? Yes, I definitely miss um, 
being this way. I, I, I miss having a fight coming up. I miss training and being in the gym. So, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be, be back in the game. So, guys, if you can't go back to slow, or are you going to do it in L.A.? Uh, we haven't decided 100%, but most likely stay in L.A. John will still come down and work with me. Um, still, still be training with John, too, but uh, probably going to stay in L.A. and work with, with some of my guys down there. Will you guys be cutting weight for this, or is this just going to be at a heavyweight? That's up to him. I don't care. I, I'll, 205, I'd like to fight at 205. I'm going to walk in at 215 anyway. That's why I like to fight. I like to I'm comfortable there. Um, he wants to stay bigger. I don't care. I mean, we both both been fighting that. We fought 205 for the last, you know, 20 years. I mean, it's not like we're gonna get that much bigger in that amount of time. It won't matter to me. Chuck, if there's anybody who doesn't want to see this fight, I think it's mostly because they they felt like they were worried about your health. Like at the end of your career, you weren't taking yeah. a shot the same. Can you speak to that? Yeah. I mean, okay. I I, I appreciate it. I, I appreciate the concern. But if if I felt truly felt that I. I got in the gym and I, I couldn't put, put things together. Uh, I thought I was going to get hurt. I, I wouldn't risk it. I, I, I'm healthy. I feel good. Um, I, my everything, everything's working right. So I, I'm really happy to be out there. And, and I, if I can say anything to him, don't worry about me. I'll take care of me. Did you ever feel uh, over these last few years that, that Ch Tito robbed you of a few more fights because you were supposed to fight him and you end up having to switch opponent? Did you ever feel like that? Uh, I never felt like that, but I, you know, I, that whole thing was, I hated it because it was it put Tito back and got attention back on Tito, and I, I argued not to have him coach against me because I knew he wouldn't fight me. I told Dana at the beginning he wouldn't fight me. And if you watch the show, week eight, some of the guys. They show on, I think, week eight in the show. They, some of the guys come to me and talk about Tito not going to fight because of his neck. Um, that was week one. Those guys came up to me. So he knew from the beginning that he would never plan on fighting me. He just wanted the press going up to it. But he was never going to fight me. So that's what bothers me. Kabooga! So Tito, it seems like you know, this thing's pretty much done with Chuck. I know there's still some specifics to figure out, but you're, you're ready to do this later this year, right? Uh, yeah, you know, um, I tested my body over the last seven weeks and it bounced back like no other. You know, uh, I got to be thankful for uh, my surgeon. He gets all the credit, uh, Dr. William Smith, for doing the surgery. I mean, I got back surgery back in 09 with him, and I got through back surgery and uh, four neck surgeries, but it's nice to be 100%, nice to be with no pain, uh, and all the levels above it are fine. Everything looks good, so he gave me the clear start wrestling and that's been about uh six seven weeks now it's about 15 feet away from you just down there at the end of the other side of the carpet have you interacted with him at all this week have you seen him in person since you guys signed this fight? uh no i think this will be the first time um fuck that guy <laughs> I, it, it's we're not friends we're not we're not companions we're not acquaintance we're in, you know what if he wants to write me off i'll write him off too this is a fight and i'm gonna kick his ass and i'm gonna get redemption for it it's going to be different this time around. I mean, it's so many years later since your last meeting. How do you feel, you know, things are different in this fight? Um, you know, I, I see that he's taken a lot of time off and he's bit off a little more than he can chew. And I'm going to prove that. You know, I took a year off just because of a surgery that I had to have. Through my whole career, it's always been, uh, my body's been rattled with surgeries. You know, my body is my worst enemy is myself. And, but me healthy, me with my mind right, um, the people around me great. Uh, I'm invincible, man. It's just one of those things. People see how quick I pick apart Chelsea, and I did it faster than what Johnny Bones Jones can do with. And I, I, I'm ready to fight. I want to fight. And this is just one of those things that it's always been in my life. If someone's told me I couldn't do something, and to react off those things, and that's 
proving people wrong. And if I could prove people wrong by beating Chuck Liddell on my terms, where it's not like we were supposed to hold out in the beginning, we only got paid $150,000, we could have got paid 20 to 30 million. Didn't make sense back then, but now it makes sense. Delahoy is going to come about and he's going to give us an opportunity of being partners of this company. And I'm going to put my heart and soul into it and to get redemption. I showed what I can do when I fought Chelsea Sonnen, and I'm going to do the same thing when I fight Chuck Liddell. And I know you said over the years, you know, you don't like having negativity in your life. You try to focus on the positive and stuff, but, you know, you guys have had this rivalry for 15 years at this point. What still gets your blood boiling about him, and why, you know, do you not mind still holding that kind of resentment towards him after all these years? Well, all this is true. Everything else before was fabricated. This is true. I'm, I'm fighting for an opportunity for my name. Before I got pushed into something I didn't want to do. And I got pushed into something that people call me a pussy. People saying I'm not a tough fighter and I'm afraid of Chuck. Well, you, when you have that things around you, you don't want to fight the fight. How can you train and prepare for that fight? Now that I want to fight it and it's in my own terms and he's not my friend. He, he doesn't sleep on my couch anymore. He doesn't clean his dirty ass feet on my couch anymore. It's just one of those things where he used to spar with me all the time and wrestle with me all the time. We're the ones that made up the wall walk. He's not my friend. Like I say, he's not my acquaintance. He's my enemy. And my job is to beat his ass. And when we get this uh, venue signed where we're going to have it out, we'll announce it and I'll, be, I'll keep my work up as I've been doing over the last uh, seven weeks and I'll get my hand raised. I know the weapons I have. I know what I can do. I just got to be confident when I do these things. And I've been doing it. Shit, he's been retired for now eight years. I've been doing those eight years that he's been retired. I've been sacrificing myself, my mind, my body to become a fighter, to support my children. Now I'm able to support him. This isn't about money. People got to understand this. This fight, I'm not getting paid no money. There is no million dollar payday guaranteed. I make money when someone buys a pay-per-view. I make money when someone buys a ticket to the fight. My job is to perform the way I've always performed over the last 21 and a half years. And that's what I'm going to do. Wait, so there's no base purse for this one? No base purse. That's how bad I want this fight. This is important to me. I'm coming in as a partner. I believe in my fans. I believe in Chuck Adele's fans. I believe in the promotion that De La Hoya can do. But people want to see me fight. They want to see me beat Chuck Liddell, get my hand raised over him. They'll turn into this pay-per-view. Was that something you pushed for, or was that just sort of... It was cut and dry. It's plain and simple. That's exactly how it was. De La Hoya said he wanted to get in the business and do a one-off and see what this would, would turn out to be. I'm a businessman. I believe myself. I'm willing to take a chance. I'm willing to bet on my name. And that's what I'm doing in this fight. Because I know I'm gonna win. I'm getting my hand raised. And I get to be a double-edged sword that I'm gonna be able to shine myself. I get to win, and hopefully it'll be a huge pay-per-view where we do 1.5 million pay-per-view buys as we did before. People who've been over the last 15 years of our uh, careers, they've seen us compete against each other. They've seen us compete against others. What would it do with Tito Ortiz, Chuck Adele 3? And we had that opportunity in, uh, with the Ultimate Fighter, but I got pulled out, Dana pulled me out, and he did his job, and Chuck Cadell fought uh, Rich Franklin. That should have been me in there, but you know what? Everything in this world happens for a reason, and I believe in that way. My whole career has been like that. We just talked to Chuck probably like 15 minutes ago, and when I asked him how does he think the fight's going to happen, he, he said basically he's going to break you within the first couple minutes. I mean, I'm just curious for your response when you hear I, something like that. I, I hope he comes out aggressive. You know, I hope he swings for the fences. hope he's the Chuck Cadell that I've always seen that he just... I know how he fights. You know, like I say, man, the last two fights, my, my life wasn't right. I had wrong people around me. I just had everything in my, my mind was wrong. Now, like I say, I'm not getting pushed into a fight. It's not a fabrication. We have fabricated bad blood. That DVD was just fabricated. It was all lies. This is true now. This is real. So the fans get an opportunity to see something that's real. They get to see the real Tito Ortiz against Chuck Liddell. That's someone that a UFC fabricated to get to that point. They had to sell tickets. I understand it. But we made shit for money. Now's the opportunity where we're going to make some huge money. And yeah. I love the fight, 
but I like to make money. I'm a businessman, and this is an opportunity for me to make a big business and get my hand raised over Chuck Liddell. That's always been my goal. People always sold me out my whole lifetime. I couldn't be able to do something and, you know, get my degree, owning my first house, making my first million, becoming a world champion, having three beautiful kids, have a beautiful family. I've gotten these things through hard work and dedication. I just want to show everybody who watching my career or watched my career and are going to be watching this fight that the surgeries I've gone through are just challenges that God gave me and I've been able to prevail through them. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for all my fans. I'm thankful everybody gets to this point. You know, Lorenzo, Dana. I wouldn't be where I am if it wasn't for this and the hard work that I show. I'm a hardworking American, man. I'm a hardworking Mexican American. I just work hard, try to give up possibly the best thing I possibly can do, and that's fight and show what hard work that is truly about. Olympic drug testing, cool. Let's do it. I've been doing it my whole career. I mean, I've had guys do drug tests, come knocking on my door at six in the morning, five in the morning, seven in the morning, right after I came out of training. My whole career has been like that. And I, I hopefully they do the same thing. I have no problem with it at all. Never had a problem with it. You want this one to be at 205 and make this it cut be weight? At 205. My best fight, fight weight is at 205 pounds. I'm fast, I'm strong as hell, but 205, that's where it's going to be at. So how do you see it go down in your mind when you see it? Uh, I think him getting a little, a little aggressive and me getting a takedown, uh, me ground and pounding, um, him getting back to his feet, him throwing the sloppy punches he does, and me catching him, knocking him out. All right, so there you go. Chuck Liddell, Tito Ortiz, they will be fighting, whether you like it or not. I'm still up in the air on it. I still, it's gonna get numbers. It's gonna get numbers. Uh, had it been on, had it been on free TV, you know, had 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 Bellator found a way to do it, you know, I don't know if they could have generated the revenue necessary to pay out. Uh, sounds like you know Chuck and Tito are kind of taking a profit sharing percentage of this. So we'll see how the, we'll see how this all plays out, man. I still have my questions about it, but listen, man, we we've seen it over and over. There's no question. These are two of the biggest stars. You talk about casual fans. The things right now, if we walked around B-dubs, you know what I mean, and asked everybody in here about Max Holloway and Brian Ortega, I mean, we might – I mean, this is Las Vegas, so we'd probably get a pretty decent, you know, review, but we'd probably get a lot of weird faces. But if we walked around and asked about Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, everybody in here would be able to tell us. Absolutely. They're a couple of legends of the sport, aren't they? And, you know, their, their, their respective careers will always be linked. And uh, it's, it's fascinating that – you know, I think there are there are question marks over whether they should be getting in there again, particularly Chuck. You know, this is going to be an eight-year layoff, probably longer by the time they get in there. Uh, that's a long time to be away. And time. this is an eight-year layoff after which, bear in mind, when he retired first time, many people thought he would, he'd already got on too long. So, you know, you just hope that nothing goes wrong from a health perspective because... You don't, you know, this is this is not what you want to see in the sport where you get people coming back after that long and then getting hurt. So, you know, you wish them all the best. You hope that they're they're fully fit and good to go. And uh, from listening to Chuck, there, Chuck is very confident that he's gonna he's gonna do the business yet again and claim a hat trick of uh, of wins over. It seems. Over I mean, Tito, if so. all you're doing is breaking down their last two fights, like you'd go Chuck all day, right? Yeah. But Tito's been the more active, though. Tito's been the more active guy. Is, is he five years younger? Yeah. Four years younger, five years Eight years yeah. away for Chuck. Yeah. Ah, man, it's tough. All right. Uh, I did want to talk about the Ultimate Fighter 27 finale mm. quickly. I won't spend a lot of time on it because, of course, uh, as we sit and record this, it's really not even that long away until the first fight starts. Uh, <laughs> but give me, give me your uh, – 
Give me your uh, excitement level on Brad Tavares versus Israel Adesanya. This is a tough one for me, too, because Brad Tavares, again, has been in Vegas as long as I have. Uh, you know, somebody whose career that I've, that I've watched uh, unfold completely in front of my eyes. So, uh, you know, trains at Extreme Couture where I'm at four times a week with my son, Israel Adesanya. Love Izzy Adesanya, man. The last style bender, I love his style. I mean, how can you not be a fan of watching him fight, man? It's incredibly entertaining. It's fun to watch. Um, you know, I do think Brad Tavares has a path to victory here. I don't feel like this is impossible. Uh, Brad Tavares, uh, you know, is certainly going to be a better grappler. Um, not necessarily the bigger guy in terms of stature, but I think, you know, in, in terms of strength probably, I think he looks like the more physically strong guy, certainly the more experienced guy uh, at the highest level in mixed martial arts, has only lost to very, very, you know, elite-level fighters. I do think the interesting factor here is the small cage. It's the, it's the small cage, which you don't see much anymore in the United States. Uh, the USC really, really prefers to use that big cage as often as possible. But we're at the Palms tomorrow night, which has a really small footprint on the floor. You can only use the tiny cage. I think tracking down a guy like Israel Adesanya, who probably wants to stay away from you, use that range, stay at kickboxing range, stay off the fence. It's a little bit more difficult on that small surface. Um, Give me your take, Simon. Uh, you don't, you don't, uh, you don't have the uh, the uh, the bias in there of, of being the local guy. So as you look at this from afar, from your European perspective, tell me what you think about this fight. It's an acid test for Israel Adesanya. What you got to bear in mind is his last fight against Marvin Vittori, who is an incredibly tough campaigner, but basically stood in front of him for three rounds. Uh, he stood in front of an elite kickboxer for three rounds, and Adesanya couldn't put him away. So that's worth mentioning. Yep. For all of his kickboxing credentials, and they are extensive, he couldn't put Marvin Vittori away. So a big, strong, tough middleweight yep. has a chance of hanging. Marvin Vittori with, checks with, those boxes. With, Brad Tavares checks those boxes. There you go. But the difference with this is Brad Tavares has got that diverse skill set that Marvin Vittori perhaps didn't in that fight. So whereas Marvin largely stood, stood with uh, Adesanya for the most part of that fight, um, had some success with, with, with a couple of takedowns in that fight. But I think Brad has got the ability to really mix things up. Uh, I think that he'd be wise to do that. Um, and it's all, I think for me, the questions are all on Israel Adesanya's side because we don't know the ceiling for him yet. Brad Tavares, he's been in there. This will be like his 16th fight in the UFC or 17th fight, I think it is. Um, we've seen him a lot. We know what he brings to the table. He's a bring-your-lunchbox kind of guy, yep. you know? He, he, he's he is. The, he's, he's, he's blue-collar. He really is. He'll go in there and he'll throw punches with you for as long as necessary. If he needs to take you down, he will try and take you down. And, you know, he's, he's solid everywhere without perhaps being elite, truly elite level anywhere. In fact, it's kind of jack-of-all-trades. Yeah. Not quite a master of any. Yep. If we're, That sounds really harsh, I know, but that's not what it's supposed to sound like. It he's, sounds like you disrespect him, but it's a, yeah, very, no, it's a very fair <laughs> description, you know? But I think... I think he's probably having, he's like, if he had an elite level skill set amongst one of those, he'd be right up there in the middleweight division as a contender because yeah. he's strong everywhere. Yeah. But he just, he hasn't quite got that elite level. Against Adesanya, Adesanya's striking is off the charts. But that, that, that's his trick. How good is his wrestling? How good is his grappling? And how quickly can he advance that while he's trying to sort of move up this shark tank in the middleweight division? This is a real acid test for him. If he gets past Brad Tavares, We've got ourselves a, a new a new young contender moving into the top top fifteen, top ten. So Did you catch Adesanya's tripping over the speaker moment today? When 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 basically he's 
He's gone in. He's shown some swagger. He's weighed in. He's, he's done the face-off. And then they're interviewing him. He says, tomorrow I get that strap. Yes. What strap? Yeah. There's a strap on the line. There's no belt for that. <laughs> I was like, there's no you, belt for that. I bet he walked off stage and went, how did I say that? I don't know why I said the strap. Yeah, he gave, he, he gave us a great media scrum in the week. He, oh, he, he's phenomenal. He, he's, he's really good. And I know the comparisons have been made before. There's a lot of similarity in the mannerisms, in, well, his body type, and, and, also, and also in the way he seems to carry himself to from Jones. a confidence to John Jones. Listen, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it seems like a lazy comparison at first. Yeah. Like, right, when you first, it's lazy. But the first time I saw him in person, because I missed his debut, but then I was in Phoenix. For, Phoenix was the second fight, and then, of course, here. When you stand next to him, Physically, he looks like a young John Jones. Just the face, I mean, he looks very similar. Like if you were looking out of the corner of your eye, they, the body type, very yeah. long, very rangy. The creativity, like, yes, they don't approach the game exactly the same way, but, yes, the creativity of the way they move. At first, when people started calling him a John Jones, I was like, ah, it's kind of lazy, but it's not. I mean, the, the comparisons are definitely there. It's hard because, you know, when you compare people to somebody they've accomplished so much, it's it's kind of difficult expectations. But, uh, but yeah, I'm excited about this. The Ultimate Fighter finales are happening. Uh, just going to admit it, uh, I'm really probably more excited for the featherweight final than I am. The lightweight, not that I don't like Joe Giannetti and Mike Trezano, man. They both had a great pass to get there. I think, that, you know, talented kids. Uh, but Jay Cuccinell, first of all, he, he blogged for us. Uh, I know you've got some love for him because he's an Englishman uh, living yeah. in Spain, yeah. uh, training with Luke Barnott. Uh, but I love his opponent, too, Brad Katona. Brad Katona was a guy that when we did our initial cast interviews, um, which we, we interviewed all myself and Cole Coffey got a chance to go in when the season was just starting uh, and talk to all these guys. And Brad Katona is literally Clark Kent. You know what I mean? Like you you look at him and, and, and he's got his glasses on and he's got a funny accent and, and he's, he's an engineer. And I'm like – this dude has no business in here. Like, in this season of undefeated killers, no business in here whatsoever. But I will say this. I'm the same guy that uh, on Luke Barnett's season, I met Kelvin Gasson. I was like, this dude is definitely the first guy out of here. And, of course, he ends up winning the whole season. Yeah. Uh, but Jay Cuccinella, his final fight, if you didn't watch any of Tough, and I get it, people aren't watching Tough, but uh, if you didn't see, man, his last fight was a fantastic fight. Dropped a couple of times, wobbled battle back uh, to earn his way into the final against a very, very tough kid on the other side. Um, Tyler Diamond. Yeah, yeah. it's uh, – it, it, I'm excited. But it, out of the two, I'm not trying to slight the lightweights, but I got to say I'm, I'm more emotionally invested in the featherweight. Yeah, I think so too. I think – I mean, obviously from a British perspective – uh, it's going to be great to see another Brit. We've got a good history in the Ultimate Fighter. We've had, we've had a few winners down the years. You know, Ross Pearson's won it, and uh, Norman Parks won it, and uh, you know we've had a few. James Wilkes has won it, and uh, it's been it's been a pretty rich, rich hunting ground for British talent. Even people who haven't won it have, pro have you know progressed into the UFC and right. had a run in the UFC. So what's that Bisping guy that did okay? There's a guy called Bisping. Yeah, he won one. I, I, I think he, he, won one. he was all right. Yeah, <laughs> whatever happened to him? Did he did, did he amount to anything? I don't know. But yeah, and and uh, actually Jay mentioned that in uh, in our scrum. He said to me that you know. Bisbing being the first guy to win it and the fact that he's just retired, it would be kind of a cool thing to sort of be the next guy to come through. And, and It's funny not to make direct links from Bisping to Ronda Rousey, but, I mean, you know, Ronda Rousey, inspiring women. Bisping really did. I mean, when you talk to British MMA fighters, yep. he really did inspire them. Oh, yeah. Absolutely inspired them. He really did because he did it the hard way because back then, you know, British MMA didn't have the best reputation in terms of, 
our ability level. It was the Brits can't wrestle. We had people who could strike, but we couldn't wrestle. And we had this British guy turned up on the Ultimate Fighter House. Uh, and it, in fact, we had two. Ross Poynton was on yeah. that season as well. Yep. And uh, I don't know whether anyone actually gave the British guys a chance. And Bisbing actually proved, okay, this guy can fight. Yep. And he went through the season, won the third <laughs> season, was a coach, went on to become a world champ and, and you know, had, had the career he had. You know, Ross Pearson... He won the Ultimate Fighter, went on to coach. He's still going in the UFC, 23 fights on. So, you know, if you get through the Ultimate Fighter, that's a pretty good way to get into the UFC. Uh, and Jay Cuccinello, he's a tough man. You know, he, he looked very close to being finished in the first round of that semifinal and turned it around, absolutely turned it around. Military vet, dealt yeah. with a lot of family issues. Really has. Yeah. And, he's, and a good, he's, a, he's got a great story. He really has. And Brad Katona, I described him to someone as Doogie Hauser with muscles. That's it. And, I'll uh, take that. You know, and, and what a lovely guy. Absolutely lovely guy. I mean, you know, we had a chance to talk to all four finalists, and they all came across really well. They all carried themselves uh, exactly as you would hope yep. for the, sort of these, these prospects looking to get into the UFC. And, uh, yeah, you know, whoever, whoever it does – you know, win and, and get the contracts. You know, I, I wish them all well. I think uh, I think if Jay Cuccinello wins, I'll, and maybe even if Bracatona wins, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see them actually drop down to bantamweight. They're both. Yeah. You know, I mean, Bracatona is very short. He's he's str he's very stocky, but he's short. And he's Jay Cuccinello is quite 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 short for a featherweight as I, well. So I, think, I mean, we see that a lot in the Ultimate Fighter, right? Yeah. Guys drop. I think you're right. Uh, Martin Bravo versus Alex Caceres. Love watching Bruce Leroy fight, man. Just. The way he moves in there, it's fun to watch. Barb Honchek versus Roxanne Motiferi is a, is a nice women's fight. We should have had that a while back, shouldn't we? And yeah. We had a bit of a rejig with uh, – So the guy that rebooked, so which Jari is fantastic. Sajara falling through. And Roxanne Motiferi, yeah. uh, again, a local here, so she had a lot of fun. Uh, Alessio De Chirico versus uh, Julian Marquez, who also uh, a local uh, – missed weight today, 190. Kind of sucks. Puts a little damper on that one, man. Yeah. Uh, but thirty uh, percent of his purse. Thirty percent. That's a pretty severe amount. That's that's. I like know. it, but hey, good advice. Listen, there's never a standard deduction amount. Always ask for more. Yeah. That's always it. There's always ask for more. Uh, Montana De La Rosa versus Rachel Osovich. Good women's fight there. Luis Pena. I know a lot. Luis Pena got a nice pop today. Did you hear that? I mean the. Dude, the uh, nice crowd. The people are digging the violent Bob Ross. And he, he had the he had the he had, had the little comb in, in there. there. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. He had a nice little pop from the crowd. He's fighting Richie Smolin, of course. Another European there. John Gunther versus Alan Zuniga. Here's the one I'm most excited about, though. I'm not lying. These were two of my early favorites: Tyler Diamond and Bryce Mitchell. Honestly, um, I was a Bryce Mitchell fan before the the show ever started. And uh, I think if you if you did actually watch the show, I think you got you got to see a little bit of his personality yeah. as well, man. He's a, I think he's a, a fun dude, and he can definitely scrap as well. Tyler Diamond also looks like a, a real prospect as well. I'm I'm really really paying attention to that fight, man. That 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 to me, to be honest with you, I thought that was going to be the final fight. Yeah, and and Tyler Diamond in the fight with with Jay Cuccinello, he looked fantastic in that first round, and then his his cardio just seemed to fail him, and. Uh, Jay, Jay saw that sort of, sort of, you know, the energy draining from him and just worked the body, worked the body, worked the body and, and, and basically broke him down. Physically, he's a specimen. You know, he's a big, strong, muscular guy. Uh, I think he's a NCAA D1 wrestler. You know, so he's got he's got that 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 core strength, if you like. And, and I think that's going to be a cracking fight. I, I, as You know, I watched, I didn't watch the season all the way through. I was sort of dipping in and out. But from seeing the early, the early stuff, those two, 
both looked like they were going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the tournament, and it's a slight surprise that neither one of them's in a final. I yeah. agree. I'm glad they're kind of meeting on the uh, on the finale, even if it's not for the title. Uh, Matt Bassett versus uh, Dallas guy. Uh, big fan, obviously, of the Texan MMA fighter Stephen Ocho Peterson. Gerald Mearshart versus. Oscar Piachota rounds it out on UFC Fight Pass. Watch out for Oscar Piachota. I've watched him a few times. He's undefeated. I think he split his wins evenly. I think they're almost. I think they're all finishes pretty much. Half by submission, half by KO. He's good. He is good. He's, He's good. Tough dude. Tough yeah. dude. Uh, all right, so should be a fun card. Uh, listen, really want to say um, World MMA Awards came up short. Didn't win any awards. Didn't win Journalist of the Year. Didn't win Media Source of the Year. Won the drinking, bummed. though. But definitely won the drinking. Definitely won the drinking. We had a good time. Uh, I did want to thank anybody that voted for us, MMA Junkie, MMA Junkie Radio. I really appreciate that. Uh, I actually got a lot of messages on, like, social media and personal, like, hey, bro, keep your head up, man. Like, I think you deserved it, or I think Junkie deserved it, or whatever. Pretty cool. Uh, but but whatever, man. Uh, yeah, it sucks to lose, but uh, it's fun, man. We had a good time. I know you, you, got, to, you got to be my plus one. <laughs> we had a we had a plus three that night actually, so we had a little crew over there and uh, it was good fun. We had a good time, man. The World of MMA Awards is fun. It's another thing like like we mentioned the Hall of Fame. I know some people. Ah, I don't know about this, dude. If you ever get a chance to go, go, man. It's so fun. I mean, everybody in the industry's there. Like everybody's dressed up and kind of hanging out and uh, you know again having a few cocktails, having some laughs with the skits and stuff. It was it was good stuff. Yeah, it was a great night. It was a great night. And I have I don't think I don't think that people should frown upon this you know i mean it's the industry are, are, are celebrating celebrating the people who they think are the sort of the cream of the crop and doing doing the best work whether it's the people who get the awards or the people who are nominated everybody right. you know it's it's recognition of, of of the work that's being done and you know i i think it would be great if the mmaja were involved in it to make it to make I the voting process a, a little idea. bit different so it isn't necessarily just, just a popularity yep. contest, so the person with the most Twitter followers might necessarily have a have an advantage. <coughs> but but <laughs> everybody, everybody, every, everyone nominated got. Uh, <laughs> I, 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 I I think were deserved. I have to say, as a Brit, I think it is a scandal that Dan Hardy wasn't nominated for Analyst of the uh, Year. That is true. And I also think that Mark Goddard can count himself incredibly unlucky, unlucky not to have won Referee of the Year. Um, because I think he's had an incredible year, and he's had to deal with a few things as well over yes, the past twelve months. And he's dealt all the way through. He's dealt. He's, he's covered it all with with consistency and with class as well. I think he deals with it. He's very straight talking, and yes, some people don't. Good point, some sure. people don't like that. But the one thing you, the one thing you can never say about him is he's inconsistent. He is consistent. Yeah. No, and that's all, you, like that's all you can but ask like for the from way a referee. He talks and commands and keeps Absolutely. communication. You know, like hey. He, that's good. No, you're right. You're right. I hadn't even thought about that. He, he had a good case, man. The stuff that he had to yeah. do. Just dealing with Conor McGregor alone <laughs> probably should have earned him referee of the year. I think. I think. He, I think he's had a good year, and it's. It's. He's getting. He's getting. You know, the bigger title fights in Vegas now because it wasn't that long ago that he wasn't. He wasn't licensed in Vegas. Or he wasn't <laughs> Remember, he had to go through like. The Inquisition to get a license here. Madness. But anyway, <laughs> you know, I, I just as a Brit, I feel it was my duty to to uh, to give some due due credit to uh, a couple of fellow countrymen whose contribution to the sport has been has been pretty significant over the last twelve months and well and done. long before as well. Well done, well stated. All right, well it's my duty 
to uh, probably call this thing to an end so that we can actually get a little bit of sleep tonight. We still need to get a little food. Uh, we got to send this over to Cold Coffee. I'm sure he wants to get it edited so he can get some sleep as well. He'll be delighted. Yes. He's like, turn this shit in and get out of there. So uh, we're going to try to wrap up. International Fight it is always nuts. It is always an exhausting week, but it's always a lot of fun. And we're just about to get to some fights. So that's what's up. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Seriously, I know this is a busy week full of MMA content because of everything that's going on. So if you made it this far, thanks for listening.